Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. August is here and there's no better time to be a part of adfreeshows.com than right now. It's all the content at your fingertips early and ad-free. And it's not just the incredible podcast you already subscribe to. No, that's just the beginning. We have hours of weekly bonus content, live interactive events, happy hours, and even now. For the first time ever, we are in the thick of planning our very first in-person Top Guy experience for our premier members. Labor Day weekend in Chicago, Illinois, the same weekend as AEW All Out. Yes, Jeff Jarrett, Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross, Eric Bischoff, and friends. Yes, I said friends. We'll be joining our top guys and gals for a weekend event they will never forget. So sign up today over at adfreeshows.com and commit to being a part of the next one because this isn't the last. Oh no, the party is just getting started. So take the plunge. I guarantee there is a tier that is right for you right now over at adfreeshows.com. Can you believe August is already here? It feels like 2021 is just slipping through our fingers. Don't let a bunch of cash slip through your fingers. Keep more of your own money at SaveWithConrad.com. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners just like you all across the nation save tens of thousands of dollars. If you can hear my voice and you're in a 30-year loan or you have credit card debt or a second mortgage, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It really is a matter of how much. Just ask Tyrus in Wyoming, Michigan. He left us a 4.67 review and he had this to say, Jimmy made things easy. Being able to text was a lifesaver, such an easy experience. How about this five-star review from Smyrna, Delaware, David and Diane from Conrad's team were outstanding. I found out in January that my landlord wanted out of the rental business, but I love my house. As a fan of Conrad's podcast, I decided to give first family a call. I never wanted to be a homeowner before and didn't even know it was a possibility. David dealt with all the details and despite a number of complications, he and Diane kept going through the options until we made it work. We closed this month and I couldn't be happier with first family. Here's another five-star review. This one comes to us from Daniel Frank. You, he says, Conrad and his team always answered my questions and made me buying my first home. Truly an unforgettable experience. How about Jared over in East Canton, Ohio? He left us a five-star review at SaveWithConrad.com, And he had this to say. I contacted Derek last year and after looking at my information, we decided to work on my credit a bit and try again in a few months. Derek gave me a few tips that increased my score to give me the best rate possible. We were able to knock nearly $200 off of my monthly payment and two months without a payment definitely made for a better summer vacation for both me and my family. I'd recommend first family mortgage to anyone looking to refinance. Listen, no matter what your situation is, first family mortgage can help. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some money, we won't waste your time, but we also won't say no. We'll say not yet, but here's how go check out our reviews. See for yourself what people are saying about SaveWithConrad.com 
at conradreviews.com and then find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. And hey, if you'd like to give us a call, we'll even pay for the call. It's toll free at 888-425-0105 or shoot me an email at conrad at savewithconrad.com. And now let's get to the show. There's a new sports drama series on stars and it's set in the world of indie wrestling. Heels follows a family owned wrestling promotion as two brothers war over control of the league and their late father's legacy. Ace and Jack Spade's rivalry, both in and out of the ring is the main event. Brother versus brother, hero versus heel. Even CM Punk is stepping back onto the map for a cameo. Alexander Ludwig plays Ace Spade, the beloved hero, young hotshot, and the star of the Duffy Wrestling League. Outside the ring, Ace struggles to reconcile his idol status with his habit for self-destruction. Stephen Amell plays his brother in league heel, Jack Spade. This hardworking proprietor, husband, and father is trying to breathe new life into the DWL. Don't miss Heels, premiering tonight only on Stars and on the Stars app. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. I ain't scared to shut him. Q Bruce. Ah, Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Hey, a little late, better than never. Right. Brucey. That's what they say. Well, yeah, I just got my internet back like about 15 minutes before we got on here and I had to change everything up on here as well too. So no, it was funny because when we first connected, you were like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? It was like those old Verizon commercials. Can you hear me now? Good. Okay. Yeah. See different. Yeah. Different microphone, different headphones, different, everything, different connections, all that different shit went through and rewire on my own. Wow. Look at you. I even did. I even did like the preferences thing up there up top to make sure that the right thing was correct. Connecting to the right microphone and blah, blah, blah. And all that good shit. So your Fernum Schnavitz is working good now. I have the applications is perfect. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. Well, Hey boys and girls, we're excited to be here. We're talking about the 25th anniversary of the debut. There we go. Uh, of Ron Simmons with the world wrestling federation. 
The uh, WWE hall of famer was a college football star coming out of Florida state university. He finished in the top 10 in the Heisman trophy voting in 79, which by the way, if you're not paying attention for a defensive player is a big dog on deal. Uh, were you watching college football in 1979 or was it really just about doobies and the funks? No doobies, man. At that time it was, I, I was playing football at that time in high school in 1979, Conrad. So I was actually, I was actually on the gridiron, you know, goddamn, I'll we'll go back to my days. You know, we had that one play and yeah. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You played football. Yeah. And you still went to a game with me and yelled home run. Well, I was Alabama. So you're, so you're really just, you I mean, you're kind of, you're, you're like just a fucker, right? I you're, played foot. I played football for eight years, man. And what position did you play? Yeah, is this seriously the first time that you, you've <laughs> never shared that at all. Oh yeah. I played football for eight years. And, and what position Junior did you high play? in high school? I played, I played offensive tackle and offensive guard. And then I played defensive tackle and nose guard. How has this never, mainly tackle? How has this never come up? You never asked. <laughs> I can't believe it. So yeah. Did you watch Ron on TV back in the day? No. Okay. Uh, Ron found some success in JCP and the NWA. And then of course we first really see him heavily featured when he's teaming with Butch Reed is doom. what do you think of the tag team presentation of doom? I, I liked it when they wore the masks better. I know that seems silly, but it just stood out. It was cool. Yeah. I, I love the, the mask look with both of those guys because they had very similar body type and it could have been, you know, it was, it was almost as good as being a twin. And both guys were excellent in the ring and pretty damn devastating. So I like the mask look with doom. Let's, uh, let's mention that eventually they are going to split up doom and, uh, Ron's going to go on quite the little singles run. He becomes the, uh, first African-American heavyweight champion. He wins the NWA slash WCW world title. Pretty big deal. what did you think of, uh, the cowboy putting the world title on old Ron? Well, I thought it was a good move. You know, I, I go back to when Ron first broke in the business in Florida for, I think Dusty was booking at the time and there was Luger who had just debuted in Florida. And then Ron came in and Ron just had a look and an intensity about him that made him stand out and made Ron different than the other guys. Yes. Ron was green and yes, but he had a look and he had an intensity and in Florida, he walked on water. So, you know, Simmons was, um, had a good start out of the gate, but I had always been a big fan of his. And you go back to certain guys like undertaker, uh, Steve Austin, both who started in world-class championship wrestling. And you would also watch, you know, for me, Florida, I would go in and, and watch that because you wanted to see what, what the hell was going on. And Ron Simmons was one of those that stood out a uh, Magnum TA that stood out early in Florida championship wrestling. So there were guys that you would see early on and go, Hey, they're going to be a big star someday. You'd have some misses too. I felt the same way about Luger. Uh, Hulk Hogan is become, uh, going to become a major part of WCW. And when that happens, 
uh, Ron Simmons starts to see himself move down the card quite a bit. Uh, and, and you've told the story once upon a time that, uh, you were trying to bring Ron in for a long time before it actually happened. Catch us up on, on what that relationship was like. Ron Simmons was someone that we looked at and thought he would be a really good fit. And someone that we actively romanced and actively, you know, uh, scouted and, and pursued. So I knew when Ron's contract was up and I would call Ron at the same time every year and practically like every three months, just check in and say, Hey Ron, how you doing? Bruce Pritchard, uh, just, uh, reminded you, reminding you that when you're ready to, to talk and you can, and you, uh, might want to think about making a move, you got my number and give me a call, man, and hope everything's well. And that was about the extent of the conversation. Then. Lo and behold, one day it was, uh, I think Ron had already retired. I think Ron had already hung up his boots in WCW and was thinking about getting out of the business and and working at Coca-Cola. So I stayed on him and said, Ron, you know, Hey, you, you got at least one last run up here before you hang the boots up for good. So we got to the point where Ron, Ron was willing to listen. Ron was looking at, yeah, man, maybe I, I need to talk to these guys, at least talk. So, you know, when you, when you make an acquisition like this, or you're making an overture like this, you're at least floating it past Vince. I'm sure. What did Vince think of Ron? Well, yeah, of course I was passing it by Vince and Vince was interested in Ron and Vince was even more interested in Ron at this point, really in his career, because Ron had, you know, hadn't been on WCW for a little while anyway. So Vince was as active in pursuing Ron as anybody. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks and a few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end, when people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. Okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over paid for by NHTSA. I know this sounds silly, but I can't help but ask. Was it always apparent that, that Vince sometimes shouldn't say always sometimes I'm trying to find a way to tiptoe here, but it feels like at times Vince would feel like certain talent had a quote unquote stink on them of another promotion. And he would rather it just be his own idea. And, and obviously, you know, Vince better than anybody probably listening to this, but we've heard for years that, you know, well, Vince only wants to push his own creations. And, and I wouldn't necessarily say that's the case, but we've seen exceptions to that rule. Of course. 
but when a guy you just mentioned right there, he was more interested because he wasn't on TV, uh, or, or fresh off of the WCW TV. Can you expand on that line of thinking from a Vince McMahon point of view? Well, I think that more than anything that Ron didn't have WCW and a contract looming in the background that would deter him. I, I think that there was a bit of disinterest because there was always, well, I'm going to renew with WCW or I'm going to stay where I, where I am. He had already ended his relationship with WCW and that wasn't an issue to me. I think that is what made him more appealing to Vince at the time, because when you still got that, that contract lingering down there and something that's going to be a roadblock, it's okay. Until, until they can actually talk and until you can actually engage in conversation, then there, there's not a whole lot you could have done. So, uh, at some point we should mention, he does a few shots with ECW. Uh, he wrestles guys like Mikey Whipwreck, Sabu, Shane Douglas, and nine one one. Are you in regular communication with Heyman in that era about all things, you know, ECW when it came to prospects you were interested in? Yeah. Paul, and I talked all the time about, Hey, who's available out there and who are you using? What's coming up type shit without a doubt. Yeah. Paul and I talked a lot. What about Jim Ross? I think at the time he's, uh, I'm not sure actually. In fact, yeah, let's talk through that. I think it was 96 that JJ leaves and Jr. comes in. Would, did Jr. have a hand in bringing in Ron Simmons? It seems like from their shared history, he would have been a, a big Ron fan. I'm sure that Jr. was a big Ron fan. John, uh, or Jr. was not John. What the hell did I come up with that? But Jr. was, was not a, not a part of that in particular with bringing Ron in and talking to Ron and going to meet him. I would venture to guess and think it would be a very safe guess that Jr. would have been very high on Ron Simmons. So Ron's given notice in September of 94, that WCW is not going to renew his, renew his contract. And it takes until June of 96 for him to pop up in the WWF. And he just, uh, taken a stab at the old regular gig working at Coca-Cola and decided this shit's for the birds. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, I think that the, the lure of, of coming back and having that last run in a new, new area. I think that that appealed to Ron a little bit. Plus I think that being out in the civilian world, if you will, wasn't something that once you, he got in it, that he was really excited about. And listen, I know this is hard for some of our listeners to probably, well, maybe not, but in that era, it very much felt like a lot of guys didn't think their career was complete or they had done all there was to do unless they had at least one run in quote unquote, New York. Right. I think that some people, yeah, a lot of people looked at it that way. They all wanted to be in, in, as I would say the show. Yeah. So they all wanted to hopefully be able to have, have that run. Good, bad, or indifferent. Can you tell me about, um, you know, where you're thinking at from a roster standpoint? I mean, I just want to bring all of this, uh, some context, I guess. Brian Pillman came in in 96. Mick Foley came in in 96. Steve Austin came in in 96. Mark Merrow came in in 96. Ron Simmons came in in 96. Certainly there's a few guys who were leaving, uh, Mr. Perfect, uh, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. There's a lot of moving parts here, but did you feel 
like you guys were, uh, were rebuilding, reloading. Was there a, a paradigm shift with the a, a way you were approaching talent or, or folks you were picking up? Yeah, I think it was from the standpoint of competition and some of our biggest stars leaving and going to the other guys. So yes, that was something we're looking at, looking at being able to build new and create create a different environment almost as you, if you will because it was people that were more known for their in-ring talent. Uh, you know, Steve Austin, hell of a hell of a worker. Um Ron yep. Simmons, hell of a worker. So looking at that, you you kind of say, okay, um, grab grab the best that's available at the time. Yeah, from an in-ring standpoint, you're picking up Steve Austin, Ron Simmons, Mark Merrill, Ron Pillman, Mick Foley, et cetera, et cetera. And you're letting loose of perhaps they passed his prime Mr. Perfect. And of course you're losing Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. But it's hard to argue. And don't get me wrong, I know immediately. With the impact of the NWO, I think everybody thought, oh man, WCW is just running roughshod over the WWE. Uh, but in reality, it's hard to argue WWE didn't come out ahead on that deal. Yeah, I would think so. I think that obviously WCW had a hell of a run there for a while and did great. Um, it's but- just, it's interesting to think about 97 in particular, where it feels like that's when the WWE creative really cranks up. Does it happen without some of these players like the Foley's and the Austin's and, and the Pillman's and the Ron's and just on and on, uh, the observer here on June 16th, but right besides Brian Pillman, Vince McMahon has either come to, or has completed a deal with Ron Simmons, who is expected to debut as a heel at the next set of TV tapings on June 24th and June 25th. McMahon met with Simmons at his home in Georgia after the last set of tapings. Now, you, I think you've told us uh, maybe a different story. Uh, can you tell us about that meeting and how that, that all came to be? Yeah, I'll tell you the truth. I did not meet at Ron Simmons' home. Uh, we met at the airport Marriott in Atlanta, Georgia, and we had a room in the back of their main restaurant that we had secured. <laughs> and Vince and I flew in to Atlanta. We took the shuttle over to the Marriott got in the room. Wait, Vince Vince McMahon used to ride airport shuttles all the time. Blows my mind. Continue. You know, he goes poo poo too. No, I'm with you, but can you, (laughs) when was the last time you think Mr. McMahon was on an airport shuttle? Just take a stab at it. I I mean, we were on an airport shuttle, um, just last week, the, Little airport shuttle thing had to take us out to the cars from the plane. You mean it's uh, rough, Conrad? It's rough sometimes. <laughs> you're telling me uh, within the last two weeks, Vince McMahon got on a Hilton or Marriott miniature bus. Not a Hilton or Marriott bus. No, he got in a fucking limousine or an executive no, car service. Like the little bus, the little shuttle bus that takes you from the plane to out front where the cars are. You had, you got in a Mercedes right Sprinter or a hundred yards, maybe. No, I think it was a Toyota. Okay. Airport shuttle implies, you know, you know what you're doing. Keep going. Tell me about okay, this. So story. Anyway, we took the, we took the Marriott shuttle yes. over, over to the Marriott. We went in and, uh, Ron was there with his wife, Miss Lottie. Um, cool as shit. Um, 
and we, we had our meeting and, but, but the funny thing was, was, so we're back because Atlanta being a hot spot, that's where WCW was based. That's where their offices were. We're in Atlanta. Ron lived in Atlanta. That's why we went to Atlanta. Um, but we also did it during a time that, uh, we thought, Hey, we're not going to really run into any WCW guys because nobody's on the road. There's the, nobody should be traveling and all this other shit. And we kind of picked a time and a day that there wouldn't be that chance of that happening. Well, this one particular restaurant that we stayed, which was the main restaurant there in the, in the hotel had a big, like a uh, huge salad bar right in the middle of the restaurant and like a salad and a big, huge hot bar and everything as well. And the bathrooms, you had to walk from our room that was in the back. You had to walk through the restaurant and then go out into the hotel to use the restrooms. So Ron gets up and he's like, he's got to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, all right, yeah, man, I got to go to the bathroom too. You know, so we go to the bathroom and. Well, guess who's at the salad bar? I don't know. Woo! Oh my gosh! And his and his tag team partner, you know, uh, guy Arnold that, Anderson. Yeah, Arnold Anderson. Yeah, and um, Kevin Green. Oh my gosh! And um, it turned into a fucking think- meet and greet right there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so <laughs> it was like, of course, Rick immediately goes into like, oh my God, you know, Hey man, you know, what are you guys doing here? And blah, blah, blah. He goes, oh, you're here meeting Vince. And Rick just walks back to the room and they, everybody says hello. And we go on and said, well, that worked out real well. Keeping that quiet. Telephone, uh, telegram, tell Rick Flair. There you go. <laughs> so, but they, they were there, uh, because that's during the time that they were training Kevin green I see. for his first match. Yeah. That makes sense. And Ke- yeah. Kevin couldn't have been nicer, man. He was class all the way. Um, I don't think Mongo was there, you know, but we had worked with Mongo before WrestleMania 11. Right. And he was, he was awesome to work with. During that whole run, man, he was, uh, he was a lot of fun. You know, our old pal JR always says it comes down to the two C's in wrestling cash and creative. And unfortunately try as I might for the last five years, Bruce won't talk about money, but we're going to talk about money right now. We're going to talk about cryptocurrency. Boy, it's everywhere right now. Is it not? It feels like everybody's been talking about it. But if you're like me, I used to think cryptocurrency was like a secret club or maybe an exclusive club. You had to know somebody. But Coinbase believes that everyone, everywhere, should be able to get in the door. Whether you've been trading for years or maybe you're just getting started, Coinbase can help. Coinbase offers a trusted and easy-to-use platform to buy, sell, and spend cryptocurrency. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone. They offer portfolio management and protection, learning resources, and a mobile app so you can trade securely and monitor your crypto all in one place. Millions of people in over a hundred countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. So whether you're looking to diversify, just getting started, or searching for a better way to access the crypto markets, start today with Coinbase. For a limited time, new users can get $5 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today 
at coinbase.com forward slash wrestle. Sign up at coinbase.com forward slash wrestle for $5 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only, and be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash wrestle. Seriously, sign up at coinbase.com slash wrestle for $5 in free Bitcoin. It's free Bitcoin. What are you waiting for? Sign up right now. Coinbase.com forward slash wrestle. Let's pretend to be like a, uh, a fly on the wall for that first meeting with Ron Simmons and Vince McMahon. Uh, you know, here he is the, uh, perhaps the perfect foe for Ahmed Johnson. Who's red hot at the time. And, and clearly that's the idea you're going to land on. And we're going to program them together, but he's also a former WCW world champion. Uh, and, and he has a lot of, uh, credibility with wrestling fans. What's Vince selling? to, uh, or not selling, but how's he explaining his vision for what he wants Ron Simmons to be in the world wrestling federation? Well, Vince had this idea of, of Ron. And I think that when he looked at Ron, he, from basically the eyebrows down, you had this incredible specimen, but yet Ron had a receding hairline. And Vince thought if we could put something on Ron's head that he could work in like a helmet of sorts that it's going to take 20 years off of his look, you know, he's going to look 20 years younger and actually it really kind of did, but I don't think that, you know, Ron was Ron. Ron just looked like a badass man that <laughs> would kick your ass if you crossed him in general. Because Ron's the real deal. And Vince explained that he saw Ron in, in this, you know, he had a whole vision of the character of what he saw, Farouk Assad, you know, what, what he saw there. And he's like, I want to change your name. I want you to be, you know, Farouk. And, um, I, I you know, this, this deal, I, I want a different, different gear the whole nine yards and, and he saw the blue and you're going to pop in the blue. And Vince had a very specific vision. And the cool thing about it was, is, is we were pitching this, you know, it's like, you're not just pitching Ron. We, we were pitching Lottie too. You know, Ron brought Lottie to kind of hear this thing out as well to make sure that she was comfortable with Ron going back on the road and that she was comfortable with him continuing his career. Um, and then we got to Sonny and Vince explained, you know, he goes, and I'd like for you to have a manager and the manager is Sonny. Uh, she's a heat seeking missile because I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to look at you and want to cheer you, but they won't cheer you with this heat seeking missile next to you and, uh, let her stir the shit and you do the work. So it was, it was a package and it was, it was a vision that, um, man, it was one of those that Vince clearly had in his head. It was the only other time, you know, when you go back and you, you look at the visualization, it's when, undertaker and you know we've, we've got the gimmick and what in theory what it is and but he saw man what does an undertaker look like though yeah and 
he saw it clearly, and that's that's exactly what it was. And Ron Simmons is Farouk with Sonny, that package, man, it was clear as day to him. Um, did he use the, the word gladiator to describe him or American gladiators, perhaps? I don't recall. Probably use the, the term gladiator because of the helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Mo- a modern day gladiator. Did he, did in his mind's eye, was he explaining to Ron that this guy's going to wear like baby blue or whatever? Yeah. Turquoise. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And, uh, what did Ron think of, you know, the gladiator concept and the blue and sunny, or was he just receptive because he's talking to Vince McMahon? I, th- I think a little bit of both. Um, you know, there, there's always going to be when someone is is pitching anything, as you know, you sit down and you get your mortgage at first family mortgage and you, and you go, um, someone's pitching you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, right, man. That sounds good. You're right. I do want to do 15 years as, yeah. instead of 30 years so right. I can save all this money because look at this. Now I can pay myself after the end of 15 years, <laughs> but then when you get home and you think about it, you go, well, damn it, that 30 year mortgage, the payments are a lot less and I can have more now. Um, so I think that Ron was happy to be engaged and the fact that Vince had put so much thought into this character, um, that that was flattering. So I think Ron was into the character and Ron, you know, did get excited about the character and thinking about different ways to bring that to life. And it evolved as, as we said it would. And even in that meeting said, you know what? You may not stay <laughs> in this look for long, we, we may evolve and change it up. And that's exactly what happened. I want you to think before you immediately shit on what I'm about to say, cause I know it's going to be in your nature to just want to shit. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I'm just, see, that's where people get a, a, a bad, it's not in my nature. Well, I'm not saying I'm the all... most positive motherfucking person, you know, damn it. Okay. We'll yes or no. No, that's not true. Uh, name one positive, more positive than me. Well, me, you don't count diamond Dallas page. He don't count. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Jeff Jarrett. No. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff Jarrett's uh he's a delusional optimist at times. Yeah. I'm a realist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm the most positive person. I'm also a realist. No, those don't usually. Anyway, here's my, here's my question. I know normally when we're talking about, Hey, when this guy came in, did you talk about money? And I'm not asking you to give me a figure, but I am asking on the heels of Hall and Nash leaving and supposedly Merrill coming in on a guaranteed contract and Pillman. Is this a guaranteed conversation with Farouk or are we still doing the old opportunity? presentation no this was a downside okay that's a stupid fucking question conrad god you're so positive okay thank you uh i'm positive that was a stupid fucking question but that changed in your mind in 1996 with the exodus of hall and nash yeah internally in the in the wwf we've got to start at least having that type of conversation yeah the business was changing big time on commentary, uh, Jerry Lawler is going to refer to him as Ron Simmons before giving his name Farouk Assad. Is that almost like, and again, I'm probably going to annoy you with this too. Cause I can tell you're being cantankerous today. Is, that, a, is that almost, <laughs> is that Take almost, 
Okay. All right. Um, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali. Is that kind of what you're looking for? Hey, that's Cassius Clay. No, now he's Muhammad Ali. Hey, that's Ron Simmons. No, now he's Farouk Assad. Is that the concept? Yes. Okay. Was because Ali? You weren't, we weren't going to deny that there was this tremendous background and history with a great background. Yes. That was not going to take that away from him. Right. I just, you know, wanted to make the clarification because sometimes when we talked about diesel that way, and then when we started to backtrack and refer to him as Kevin, Nash, you were like, man. well, we're killing him. But yeah, this it's the context of who it is and when it's done and how it's done. Right. Big difference. Ron Simmons had his Jersey retired in Florida. Well, but to your point also too, he debuted as diesel. And then now that we've got this badass character right. over it, now we're saying it's Kevin Nash. Instead, we're introducing him. Hey, wait a minute. That's former world champion, Ron Simmons. Nope. Now he's known as Farouk Assad. You know, that to me is, it feels different. Cause it is different. Uh, what do you think about the idea of working with Ahmed? I'm sure you guys break that down at some point and have that conversation. Or do you even discuss hypothetical opponents when he's coming in with that dinner at Marriott? No, we really didn't discuss hypothetical opponents per se, just that he would be coming in as a heel. Um, the other thing was that I think both Vince and I thought that he was going to be a huge baby face at some point just because of who he was and his natural charisma. Uh, let's, uh, talk about the attack. Ahmed gets hurt during this initial attack. Um, so when we see the debut of Farouk, he comes down and apparently Ahmed is shelved with some sort of kidney injury. Was there heat on Ron for the injury? Was he just too overzealous in his debut? I mean, it's hard for me to put a whole lot of blame on this on Ron, which is maybe unfair, but it just felt like Ahmed Johnson from this point forward. And maybe even a little prior to this, it was just one thing after another, but what did the company perceive? Was there any perceived heat on him when he comes back through the curtain or is it just shit happens? No, it was shit happens. It was an unfortunate and, and misplaced kick, um, that Ahmed probably could have been kicked there a hundred times and not have any issues. And Ron was the one that had thrown this one kick that caused some issues. Uh, it wasn't when you went back and watched it, it wasn't over the top in any way. And it's just one of those things, man. It, it happened. You can do the same move every night and not get hurt. One night you get hurt. Uh, what about Sonny? How did they get along when they first hooked up Sonny and Ron as a pair? Uh, she's a, a rather polarizing figure. Were they getting along pretty well here as we start 1996? As far as I know, yeah. I mean, as far as I know, they got along swimmingly and nothing, you know, other than looking at it, you know, this is business and she would go out and I thought it was a hell of a package at first. Do you remember what the plans were for SummerSlam? I mean, when he makes the debut at those tapings in late June, it feels like the original plan was probably Ahmed and Farouk at SummerSlam. And when that gets well, uh, canceled, is there a backup plan or you just, all right, well, we'll figure something else out. That's what you always do when (laughs) when your plans go awry is you figure something else out. But at the time, the idea was that was a big shove for Ron Simmons and Farouk. Uh, chat me up about, um, 
the, the part Assad of his name very quickly after he debuts, it's dropped and it's just Farouk. We've seen that a few times with the WWF over the years. We go from two names and then we just chop away and now it's just one. Why did Farouk make more sense? Who was anti Assad? Is that a Vince call? I don't know. Anyone was anti Assad. It was a mouthful though. Yeah. Would you, you know, Farouk Assad versus just Farouk. Yeah. And the, the easier was to just, okay, let's drop Assad and just go with Farouk. Just ease of Farouk with her arm drag. Farouk Assad with a, I mean, it's, it's what flows. Uh, is there, um, any rhyme or reason to how you, who gets a two name and who gets a one name or, or we start with two names and then maybe we go, is there any sort of uh, rule of thumb? Like we've heard sometimes Vince likes alliterations. Like he likes HH, like Hulk Hogan or, you know, whatever. Is there something like that with that first name, last name combination? No. Okay. No, not at all. I mean, it just, it, it depends on, on the character and the time and, and what we're doing. So Farouk winds up in the intercontinental title tournament, which, uh, is obviously stripped from Ahmed due to his injury. Uh, he makes it up to the finals against Mark Mero on a live raw and Meltzer would say Mero pinned Farouk. Perfect was said to have helped Mero out to start a baby face turn for him. Uh, referee Pat Patterson threw Sonny out, but she came back later with a loaded purse with a brick in it. Sonny and Sable no, started okay. fighting each other. Sonny threw the purse in Farouk got it, but Mero punched him, hit him with the purse and used the shooting star press in 12 minutes and 31 seconds. So it gets two and three quarter stars. Uh, and, uh, Meltzer will continue. Merrill did a lot of good stuff in this match, but when Farouk was on top, the match slowed, it came out later. Sonny had a brick in her purse. Apparently Sable accidentally stiffed Sonny in the eye during their slap fight. Sonny was originally supposed to break up Sarah, uh, Sable, but Merrill wouldn't go for it, which caused a lot of backstage heat between Miro and Sonny. Do you remember this, uh, pissing contest with Sonny and the Merrows here? Yeah, I just, you know, the. <laughs> this was kind of taking in a lot of ways to not particularly popular people backstage at the time yeah, and having them in an angle. And, uh, Mara was very protective of Sable and not everybody, you know, was going to back Sonny as well. So it just kind of ended up easier not to deal with it and move on. We've, uh, We've got to talk about Sonny being taken off the road. Uh, she's going to start hosting live wire and they're going to split on TV in an amicable way. Um, chat me up about why the decision to, I mean, it just feels weird that here we are in late June and we're on fire for the idea. And very quickly, we're going to get rid of the helmet and we're going to change his last name and we're going to break Sonny up with him. All the stuff that we had talked about piling on top of him to make this thing work piece by piece, we're sort of chipping away at. Yeah. Because now you've got it out in front of an audience and you're seeing what the audience is buying and what, you know, what Ron may be more comfortable in as you get through the whole thing. Sunny was a move to make her more of a announcer and a character in a, a personality, not a character. She already was character, but a personality versus a manager at this point. And Ron kind of, showing the man, he, he can hold his own. Ron can cut a promo. Ron can go. 
So yeah, it's just, it adapts. And once you get it out there and you see it and it's one thing to see it in your head and it can be the greatest thing in the world in practicality when you watch it, not always, uh, plays out as it does in your head beforehand. All right, guys, I want to tell you about something that has been a game changer in my household. I'm talking about chili sleep. Uh, Bruce can attest to this. He's stayed at my house before I have a whole routine before I go to bed. One of the first things I'm going to do is I'm going to pull my blackout shades. One of the second things I'm going to do is I'm going to throw a little strip over my nose. One of the other things I'm going to do, or should I say used to do is turn the temperature down in my entire house. This was something that I discovered years ago where I slept better cold. So I would crank the thing down to like 67 degrees. And then I would like hang a foot out from underneath the comforter. I don't know why it just made me feel like I didn't get as hot. And science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering your core body temperature. Well, turns out I have a game changer for you. You see, temperature controlled sleep is going to restore testosterone levels, repair your muscles after a hard day work and improve your cognitive function. So you always start your day feeling sharp and alert, but chilly sleep makes customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that are going to help you improve your entire well-being. This has worked in the Thompson household. You see chilly sleep makes the Uller, which is what we have and the cube sleep system, which are hydro powered temperature controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. Listen, I know it sounds goofy that I'm this excited about this, but this just made common walking around sense to me rather than, you know, chill down the whole freaking house. Right? So I don't need to like pay to, I don't know, cool off the kitchen. I'm not sleeping in the kitchen. I don't need to, you know, cool off the dining room or my office or the spare bathroom or the living room. I need to cool off my bed. This is a game changer. I don't even need the whole bedroom to be cool. I need what I'm sleeping on to be cool. And they figured out how to do it. These are luxury mattress pads. that are going to keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. Now here's how we do this. Megan likes to go ahead and climb into a warm bed. I want to get into a cold bed. We can do that. In addition to that, she wants it to start warm, but then cool her off as she goes through the night. So she doesn't wake up all hot and sweaty, but she has like a wake up warm setting on hers. So she knows about what time she needs to get up. So about 5.30 in the morning, it starts to warm her up. 6 a.m., she's hitting the floor and starting her day feeling refreshed. She got that deep sleep. It was cold when she needed it. It was warm when it was time to get up. What? How is this possible? These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep and stay asleep and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. I'm using the Uller and I love it. You will too. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. Chilly sleep can make that happen. Oh, and check this out. For an extra layer of comfort, they also make the chili blanket, the only weighted blanket that can be paired with a control unit for the ultimate sweat-free sleep. Head over to chilisleep.com forward slash wrestle to learn more and check out a special offer available exclusively for something to wrestle with listeners and for a limited time. That's chili, C-H-I-L-I sleep.com slash wrestle to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. Check it out, guys. You're going to love it. If you're like me and you sleep cool, or maybe you want to sleep warmer, chillysleep.com forward slash wrestle is going to change your life. That's chillysleep.com 
forward slash wrestle. Uh, my understanding is that, uh, I believe Mr. Simmons was a very happily married man. Do you think there was any heat at home on him being paired with a, with a young valet like this? If there was, it wasn't, nobody told us. And that's one of the things that we talked to Lottie about in Atlanta, right off the bat. Yeah. And Lottie understood and she was cool with it. Um, Ron's doing his first, this spot where he lost to Mero, the match we just talked about where Mero becomes intercontinental champion. It's really Ron's first loss on TV. Uh, and then as we said, very quickly, we're going to split up the pairing with Sonny. Do you think at some point Ron starts looking around and is a little nervous about what the hell's going on? Does he come talk to you or Vince or anything like that? I think, well, first of all, Ron was talking to us all the way through this thing and we were adjusting all the way through the thing and that's all it was. So I think that Ron was more comfortable without the headgear. He was more comfortable. Uh, I think he was more comfortable without Sonny, but I don't know that that was necessarily something he was uncomfortable with either though. I do. I do think, even though I don't know that Ron would have said it then, I do think Ron was uncomfortable with the helmet. Well, the helmet is going to be something Jim Ross talks about on Monday night, raw on October 14th. He's going to say on commentary that Farouk's headgear was embarrassing. And he really starts questioning whether or not Vince really is a marketing genius. Uh, when he talks about putting a costume like this on a three-time All-American. And, uh, you know, I know sometimes we've had fun with you talking about, oh, nobody cares about All-American. But that really fits Jim Ross's quote-unquote heel persona. Uh, And if you're a hardcore longtime wrestling fan, you might even, yeah, that was silly to do that to Ron, right? Well, I don't think it was silly in a way to bring him in differently and let him evolve and, it just uh, fed into Jr.'s heel persona and real life persona and how he felt. Um, is there a concern that that perhaps just plain boots and trunks, Ron, isn't quote unquote enough for the WWE audience, and that's why we needed to pile all of these gimmicks on him and around him? I think that Ron needed some color, and I think that Ron needed a new coat of paint or fresh paint of coat paint of coat. Yeah. So I think that that was good in a way to introduce him and bring him in. Well, the bad luck keeps coming. Farouk's supposed to have a rematch against Mark Miro for the IC title at buried alive the October in your house, but he has a bum hamstring and can't make it to the ring. Um, he is a little bigger here than he was maybe when he was on top in WCW. Was there a concern that he wasn't ring ready. I think there, there was a little bit of concern that maybe the time that Ron took away from the business that, you know, your, your body, when you're in it all the time becomes accustomed to taking those bumps and accustomed to, to working every night. And when you get away from that for a while, it takes a lot longer to come back. So I think there was a feeling that perhaps Ron wasn't in the best shape. Um, and he wasn't a spring chicken either. So coming back and being on the road every week, yeah, man, is he going to be able to hold up? And in the long term, he did. Absolutely. When do you guys first remember talking about the nation of domination and that concept, and perhaps it being an opportunity for Farouk? 
Wow. Um, I really don't remember the time frame. I remember the idea and just looking at different people is using the nation of domination as a vehicle for some other people to get over as well and to have Ron be the leader of this group. And it was kind of during a time of, of factions and, you know, everything was a faction from the nation of domination to the DOA to uh, the Bariquas, uh, just on down the line. So this was kind of the first of those groupings and a vehicle for Ron to, to be the leader. So PG 13 and Clarence Mason are put with Ron for the debut of the nation at survivor series. 96, uh, was PG 13, AKA Wolfie D and JC ice on the radar. And, um, was this really the, the best fit for them? Who was a big proponent of this act from Memphis? I think Corny was a big proponent of them. Uh, Lawler was, um, they were, you know, they were different. They were unique. They were young and it was completely different than anything that we had on the air at the time. Uh, Clarence Mason was somebody that Ernie Ladd had run into. I got a fine young man. That's a very good man. He's a, he's a, he's an attorney and he can play one on TV and you put him out there and you let him go because they can talk. Um, Ernie is the one that actually brought Clarence to us. And I think it was Cornette that eventually named him Clarence Mason off of Perry Mason and Clarence Thomas. It's uh it's an interesting outfit for sure. Uh, can you tell us what the original vision uh, of nation of domination was or how it was explained to you? Well, it was just going to be, again, it was going to be a faction of like people that had the same viewpoint where it was kind of like them against the world and the nation. Again, we were looking at it as a vehicle for Ron and a vehicle for Ron to be a big star and lead it without having to do all the work. (laughs) You can put some of these young kids all around him to do that. Um, this concept of this, uh, militant group, shall we say is, is Ron on board for this? Does he express any sort of hesitations or concerns about, uh, well, what if does he counter any? No, I think that, you know, Ron was on board for the whole thing. And I think Ron also saw this as in the same way that this was his opportunity to step up and show his promo skills and be able to let other people do a lot of the work and let Ron sit back and shine. Was there any discussion of race at all when the nation is first came up, comes to be. And I realized that in hindsight, a lot of people would say, Oh, of course, but with PG 13 there, I don't know. And you know, when we sort of talked about gold dust before, whenever I would say the word gay, you would always cut me off and say, no androgynous. Uh, but I am curious, did it ever come up at all that, Hey, this could be a play here. I think that some people may have looked at it that way, but that wasn't the intention in any way, shape or form. That's probably one of the reasons that the people that we put in it from crush and Savio Vega, that it was diverse and it was a diverse group with PG 13 and everybody in it. 
No, and listen, I mean, I know a lot of people are going to argue that, but when Owen Hart's in it and Savio Vega and Crush and PG-13, it gives you at least some plausible deniability. Um, you know, it feels like it's loosely based on the nation of Islam and perhaps the Black Panther Party. Those had to at least be influences in putting this gimmick together, right? Not really. It was, it was more, if anything, you know, nation, yes. Taking that having, you know, the nation of domination. Um, but again, everybody's going to come to their own conclusion and it goes back to the old saying of those that understand no explanations needed. Those that don't, none will do. Yeah. I mean, no matter what we're trying to, uh, we're trying to mass market. So we don't want to be really divisive if we can help it. Uh, Dilo Brown's going to become a de facto member without a name as well. Tell me how you remember Dilo becoming part of the fold here. Is it just a matter of, Hey, we need somebody to, to take some big bumps and sell here and there. Yeah. Dilo was somebody and Dilo had worked for Cornette and Smoky mountain. Dilo was someone that we use that looked good in a suit that could take some bumps. He was young, but Dilo was kind of part of the background in the beginning, almost as a bodyguard to Clarence Mason and his bumping skills and the fact that uh, he was there for everything. Whenever asked, great timing, great facials, great look. Dilo fit in and did a hell of a job. Ahmed Johnson finally returns, and that match is finally going to happen for the Royal Rumble. Uh, we covered Farouk versus Ahmed in the Ahmed episode recently, but how was Ron with working with Ahmed? I mean, Ahmed didn't exactly have the best reputation, and. Uh, I can't help but wonder this, uh, no nonsense guy. Uh, here's a little sidebar once upon a time during the Ric Flair show days, I was talking to Rick and he was saying that, yeah, I, uh, the Steiner brothers used to just be brutal to everybody in those old WCW locker rooms. And they would even like, you know, really pester and, and sort of haze, Butch Reed. And I asked Ron one day, I being Rick in this case, why don't they ever fuck with you? And Ron casually responded, I'm unfuckwithable, which I thought was just a great line. But when a guy has sort of drawn his line in the sand that I'm, I'm unfuckwithable and Ahmed Johnson's rubbing some people the wrong way. How was that going with Ron? Did they get along or did they have issues fairly quickly? You know, Ron tried and, and Ron took the pairing with Ahmed almost as a challenge to help Ahmed and make Ahmed the attraction we were looking to make with Ahmed, uh, to slow Ahmed down and to teach him takes two to tango. And I don't know if that, you know, was successful, but I think that that was the way that Ron approached it from that standpoint that, yeah, man, let me see if I can slow him down and let's, let's get him to, to learn to work. Let's, let's get him to slow down and, and man, you can be the guy. And then it didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work. And I think that a lot of it was, you know, either Ahmed's attitude of, of feeling that he was already there sometimes. And I don't know that Ron and, and Ahmed really got along that well. It's, uh, it's just fun to look at these behind the scenes relationships. Savio Vega gets added to the nation. Uh, at this point, the nation is made up of Farouk, Crush, Savio Vega, D'Lo, PG-13, and Clarence Mason. Uh, quite the outfit. Is this simply a matter of 
we don't really have anything going for crush and Savio. Let's just put them in the nation. Well, I think that all those guys were somebody we were looking to do things with. So they were all top guys and, you know, the exception of D but they were all guys that were great on their own, but yet they were just maybe missing it, you know, and to, to, to be all, all the way on their own. And I'm talking in specific, you know, crush and Savio in that, in that realm, but you put them in the group and it made it a diverse and kind of like one of those, what the fuck groups. Clarence Mason, you touched on him briefly. Um, any good Clarence stories that you ever travel with Clarence or have a meal with Clarence or have any conversations that left any sort of impression with you? I can't say I did, man. Um, the, the only Clarence Mason stories were, were Ernie telling us about this, this young aggressive attorney that was friends with Ernie that could cut a promo and talk his ass off and came in and we stuck a camera in his face and Clarence was able to impromptu cut a hell of a promo. And I think that for the time and for what Clarence was involved with, I think he did a hell of a job. So not high, no hijinks, no problems, show up, do his work universally liked, stayed under the radar, that type of deal. Yeah. I, I don't remember anything in particular with Clarence at all. Well, you gotta have some fun PG 13 stories. My God, Jamie Dundee's a character and a half. Give me something. God, the PG 13 were on their best behavior when they were up here. Wow. And I remember there was one place where they were angry at something and went out and Shawn Michaels, we were at like a college campus or something. And Shawn Michaels had the two of them out on a hill, um, with them ranting and raving and Shawn of all people being the voice of reason and telling them to be mature and grow up and, you know, get back in there and do your job. But both of those guys, Jamie and Wolfie, both, man, they were on their best behavior. They, they were awesome to work with incredible talents. Um, I, I, I don't remember any, any problems with them either. They were happy to be there and happy to be on the big stage. So the other day, somebody tagged me on social media and said, Hey, Conrad, do you have one of these? And it was that old school WrestleFest arcade game. You remember the one dude, I can't tell you how many quarters I put into that thing back in the day. And when I was a little kid, I could never possibly imagine the idea of being able to have that sort of arcade rig set up at the house, but now you can WrestleMania wrestling is inspired by that early 90 arcade wrestling action. And boy, have they hit a home run with their roster. They've got both wrestling legends and the stars from the day. You can get the current and reigning NWA world champion, Nick Aldis. You can get Matt Cardona and boy, has he been in the news lately or what the face of GCW? I mean, of course, my spirit animal, the blue mini and his tag team partners with the blue world order. They're in it, but perhaps the biggest and baddest tag team of all time is inside retro mania wrestling. I'm talking about the road warriors, both Hawk and animal are playable characters here for a story mode and arcade mode, singles, matches, tag team matches, six man tags, eight man tags, hell, even the retro rumble retro mania is available now for everything. Nintendo switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox one, Xbox series X steam and IR arcade. There's even an old school retro mania themed IR arcade cabinet. Check them out at RetroManiaWrestling.com and follow them on social media at RetroSoft studios. Seriously. I love this old school arcade action 
If you're a video gamer, maybe even if you're not, and you just grew up on these old arcade games, Lord knows I did. You cannot beat the look and feel of this. As JR says, folks, it costs nothing to look. Go check them out right now. RetromaniaWrestling.com. You'll be glad you did. It's just, uh, such an interesting group. Um, did you think they were presented like top guys? I mean, they're going to wind up at this first WrestleMania, at least being promoted as the co-main event. I think most everyone would agree. It was probably Austin Brett, but still this street fight against, uh, LOD and Ahmed Johnson in Chicago. That's, that's a big deal at a WrestleMania. Yeah. I think they were presented in a big way. I think that they were, were definitely a big deal and in a top act. So how's Ron acclimating to the WWF at this point, you know, comes in in June, here he is, he finds himself, you know, in March and April working with, uh, the, the road warriors and Ahmed Johnson, he's in a prime match at WrestleMania. Is he, uh, is he's happy with his lot in life? Are you hearing from Ron? Well, all I know that Ron was happy at the time and Ron was just looking to make some money and be a part. And that was Ron's attitude. It's just interesting. You know, it feels like we, we debut in one way and very quickly make a lot of changes. Uh, he's probably not getting everything that he was originally hoped. Uh, but you adjust course, this new nation thing starts to take some legs and, or get some legs and we're off to the races. But then we, we try some controversial creative stuff with him and Ahmed cutting some, some pretty controversial promos on each other back and forth was Farouk comfortable with this creative. I mean, I know this is the attitude era, the beginning of the attitude era, and we want some realism, but I could see how a lot of folks would say, I don't know if we should do that. You know, I, again, I think that a lot of that was the talent's idea. And again, if you're looking at it through 2021 goggles, it's even worse. Uh, But at the time when you mirror society and you have two guys that want to contribute, it is what it is. So at, uh, mania, as we mentioned, it's a a pretty big match. We've already covered it before it's available in the archives, but, uh, Farouk's 38 years old here. He does get hurt during the match. Is there a concern that he maybe is, is aging out of in-ring competition? Of course, these days, 38 doesn't seem like a big deal, but man, people were acting like, you know, flair was way past his prime at 40. Uh, and now we know that, you know, guys are wrestling well into their forties and fifties. Were you guys concerned at all with Ahmed in this first year that or not Ahmed, but Farouk that might be too late? I think that, you know, there was concern as far as the injuries stacking up. And a lot of that was written off to the time that he was away and just getting back into ring shape and, um, do what we could do. But it also was the realization of, you know what, maybe we need to pull back a little bit on his physicality and what we're going to ask him to do from a physicality standpoint. The nation storyline continues with Ahmed, but at the same time, all of a sudden Farouk starts cutting promos on the WWF champion at the time, the undertaker, boy, this has got to be, uh, quite the nod when you're able to work with the top guy, the main event, the world champion, the undertaker, they have a match at uh, king of the ring. 97, they go 13 minutes and 43 seconds. Meltzer gave it two and a quarter stars. Of course, as you would imagine, Ahmed Johnson is going to be hanging around here as is Paul bear. Um, chat me up a little bit about when Farouk gets the opportunity to wrestle the undertaker on pay-per-view for the world title. 
I mean, this is something that didn't exactly seem possible after his sort of start and stop when he came in the, the year prior. Huge deal. And I think that, you know, it was, if you were going to get it, uh, there may have been a, an attitude, get it now, get it now while you can. Um, I think that as far as the matchup with, with Taker and Ron was more of a clash of styles a little bit Yeah, in that it just, it didn't gel. There wasn't a lot of great chemistry because of the two different styles and they're very similar styles in a lot of way. They both probably need to be working with a smaller guy and, and, and then throw around a smaller guy. Right. Yeah. It just didn't, I don't think it worked. I don't think, I don't think it was a good pairing. Meltzer was pretty critical. He says the NOD has a lot of presence when they first started the gimmick, but they've lost a lot of steam both through overexposure and because their television matches have cured thousands of insomnia. Some of whom probably were watching to be entertained rather than be put to sleep. It didn't appear that Farouk was taken seriously as a main event heel. That said the two worked as bad of good of a match as they could. I do think there's a fair criticism there that Cause at the time I was a big WWF fan. We know how much I love 1997 and I didn't necessarily see Farouk as a guy like a Sid vicious or a Shawn Michaels or a Bret Hart, or even a Steve Austin. I just didn't see him in that, you know, same light is even a Vader. Uh, but Farouk got the opportunity here. Do you think you guys had done enough with Farouk, the singles competitor to put him in this spot or were we mostly relying on, well, they remember. No, I think you're relying on the power of the entire group and the entire just nation of domination. It wasn't just like looking at Farouk versus Undertaker. It was really the nation versus Undertaker. So that was the feeling, and that is what we were looking for as far as selling this match. Um, But I – yeah. Speaking of going to sleep, his criticism puts me to sleep. Do you have, um, you know, and this is maybe a weird, do you have a stance on overexposure in wrestling? Because that's certainly the accusation here that, that the nation had been overexposed. Do you think that's such a thing? Is that possible? I don't know. Ask Steve Austin. You know, I, I think that if it works, is it overexposure? it depends on the talent and it, and it depends on, on how you do it. It it really and truly does. And and what you have to work with at the time. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for the non-answer. No, I, I, it depends on the talent. A lot of people say that Stone Cold Steve Austin was overexposed, but it sure as hell worked for him. Do you think the nation was overexposed? I don't, I really don't. I, I think that they, I think that they were top guys put in a top position, but I don't think they were overexposed. Let's go. Let's get to, um, the other thing in the match here, we've got Farouk getting choke slammed four times in the same match. Anything else to that? Okay. Well, is that, is that overexposed too many choke slams or what? No, it's just, you know, curious about how the business evolves. Once upon a time, one choke slam would do it. And 
you know, these days. Oh, Jesus Christ. You want to you, once upon a time, a body slam was a finish. Correct. Or a drop kick. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I saw Ole Anderson win a match a couple of weeks ago with a standing arm bar. Exactly. But we got four exactly. choke slams. Is this just the evolution of the business here in the attitude era? Yes, it really and truly is. It's, it's just, you know, kicking out of finishes and all that stuff. It, this is kind of the beginning of that. And yes, the evolution of the business is what was finishes and many, many years ago is no longer that the, the business changes and grows. Do you remember a moment where one of those one too many kickouts happened and you just remember it being like, what the fuck just in your mind, like, boy, the, the business has changed. Is there one that you can still go back to and say, well, you know, it's kind of whatever, but then this one time I'll never forget. So-and-so kicked out of the such and such. It's gotten, it's gotten to the point, I think, and, and got to the point that it all becomes a blur that to go back and find that one specific or, you know, that was the moment, um, that it, it really has, it really has become a blur and there's talk. I remember going back to WrestleMania six with Hulk and warrior. And one, you know, Hogan's finish wasn't just a leg drop, man. It was the punches. It was the big boot. And then the leg drop for someone to move on that leg drop. Oh my, that didn't happen. You don't move on the leg drop, right? Cause if you've eaten the boot, you're, you're dead. dead, you're dead. You're, you're down. Yeah. You're dead. You're finished. You can't move on the fucking leg drop. Nobody moves on the leg drop. <sighs> the leg drop was like hooking the leg. So there was that, <laughs> right? You know, um, yeah. Little things like that, that you sit there and go, well, there are points that <sighs> yes. And then the business got to where you have to do everybody else is finished. Kick out of your, you know, have people kick out of your own finish 20 times before, you know, you roll them up. Ding dong. Hello. Yes. We're talking about your ding dong today. This episode is sponsored by blue chew. Say it with me, blue chew, man. They've been sponsoring us for so long. It feels like they've been a part of something to wrestle as long as Bruce has, but now it's summer it's camping season. Let's talk about pitching tents. You know what we're doing guys. Listen, here's the thing. I want to give you a little pro tip. Confidence can take you far in life. It works in a wrestling ring. It works in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. That's where blue chew gives you the hot tag. Blue chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Now you can take these dudes anytime, day or night. So you can plan ahead or just be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process, oh, it's so simple. You just sign up at bluechew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. Now here's the best part. It's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluechew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in discreet package with blue chew men everywhere are excited to see the postman and actually your wives will be too because when your package has arrived it means your package has arrived and here's the thing 
They always say first impressions are important, but what about a lasting impression? So if you're in a dating routine and you're getting ready to uh, go one-on-one with the great one for the first time, why not leave a lasting impression? Women say there's nothing sexier than confidence and blue chew can help give you confidence where it counts. So if you could benefit from the extra confidence when it's time to perform, man, tagging our boys at blue chew, they can help. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Try blue chew for free when you use our promo code wrestle at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is wrestle to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank blue chew for sponsoring the podcast. Seriously. Have you not checked this out? If you've been listening to this for a long time, cause I can't believe it, but I think this is like our five year anniversary. You do not want to miss this bluechew.com promo code wrestle. Try it for free. You're just out $5 shipping. Why not see what all the fuss is about. You're going to love it. Bluechew.com. The promo code is wrestle. So we get four choke slams on Farouk here and that brings Ahmed Johnson out and he goes nose to nose with the undertaker. Um, undertaker goes to choke slam Johnson. He ducks out of the way, hits the Pearl river plunge on undertaker and walks out in a weird way. We've transitioned from Farouk is a heel and Ahmed's the baby face to now Ahmed's making the save against a baby face undertaker. And now Ahmed's heel. Yeah. Okay. The idea was here that, you know, after the Ahmed was taken out by Farouk and now Ahmed comes back, joins Farouk. If you can't beat him, join him. And that was, that was the story that was attempted to be told there. I don't know if everybody got that because it didn't last that long. Yeah, it did not. Um, the nation breaks up after King of the ring to splinter out into different groups. You've got crushed with the disciples of apocalypse Savio Vega with Los Bariquas. Was Vince McMahon seeing the success of the NWO and said, God damn, we just need a whole bunch of those. I think Vince thought that, you know, if you could take some of these guys and splinter them off into groups and have different factions fighting, you had the ability to make a lot more meaningful matches based off of the faction. That makes any sense versus having uh, a single program with crush and Savio, the Bariquas versus DOA is more attractive. Now, when you have crush of DOA versus Savio of the Bariquas, that's more attractive with everybody else around it and involved. Um, having Miguel Miguelito Perez and uh, eight ball or skull. It, it's more attractive with the factions. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, the next thing here. Farouk's going to promote D'Lo Brown to a full-time member. And he recruits Kama Mustafa to be a member. Uh, recently, our old pal Charles Wright, AKA Bear, was on the Broken Skull podcast with Steve Austin on the Peacock Network. And he talked about how close he was to being Papa Shango again here in 1997. Do you remember making a big push for Papa to make a return? We did think about having uh, Bear come back as Papa Shango. And the feeling was, was. <laughs> I love the Papa Shango gimmick. So you're asking the wrong person. If you think, oh, we shouldn't have done that. I love the Papa Shango gimmick. I think that, uh, we could have had some more fun with that, but 
at the time it was no nah, man let's, let's stick with comma and you know the what the fuck was it uh comma mustafa the ultimate fighting machine that's right the hell that's yeah. right i wasn't a big fan of that one but he's coming back here as comma mustafa um you've been friendly with uh mr Wright for a long time is this a you call or how does he come back into the fold well, we were looking to bring him back in the fold, and that's where the whole Papa Shango talk and everything came about was bringing him back and doing that. But I think that there was a part of and, and Undertaker had a had a say in it as well because he knew how Charles trained and looked at him and said, "Man, this guy could be go off the shoot fighter gimmick and and let him do that and be this ultimate fighting machine." Um, I think he fit better in the group. So, well, I mean, we ultimately found out that being the real life gimmick of the Godfather is the, it's the deal <laughs> was the deal. But you know, this time of experimentation, keep trying things until they hit and stick. Ahmed also joins the nation, but of course it's short lived because as we've talked about before, uh, he gets hurt again. Do you remember Ron pushing to, to have D'Lo and Kama and Ahmed in the nation? Does he have any creative control or any requests? Is he really into this or is it more like, yeah, whatever y'all need? A little bit of both, but yeah, man, Charles, I mean, not Charles, um, Ron did have say, and Ron did make suggestions. I think that probably if anybody that he went to bat for a lot was D'Lo from the standpoint, D'Lo was green, brand new. Um, you know, hadn't been anywhere else and was willing to do any and everything to, to be in the business. So I know Ron did make a big push for D'Lo as did Cornette. And I think it was the right call for him. Um, as far as comma, I think comma and Ron got along as well. I think if there was anyone that, you know, Ron personally probably wouldn't have want to have would have been. Ahmed. Yeah. But at the same time, he liked the story of, if you can't beat him, join him. Sure. Great story. Does Ron become one of the locker room leaders or enforcers that we've all heard about? When do you remember that starting to be a thing? I mean, it feels like for a long time, the undertaker has been like the quote unquote godfather of wrestling, but Ron Simmons is a guy who carried a lot of respect too, right? Absolutely. I think Ron Simmons carried respect from the probably the first time that he walked into any locker room, probably even as a kid, you know, through his college football days, Ron was a leader and Ron is one of those guys. I think that people look at all throughout life, the inspiration, and he is a honest to God, natural born leader. Just, you, you got to respect the guy. And if you don't, he'll make you respect him. Um, but he doesn't have to. He doesn't brag. He's, he's a very humble guy and, um, just Ron, but he's a badass like shaft. Oh gosh. Listen to you. SummerSlam comes and goes, and there's no Farouk match on the card, even though he main evented the last pay-per-view. Well, not in your house, but King of the ring. You know what I mean? Anyway, he's not even on SummerSlam. What's up with that? We had someone else. You can't main event every damn pay-per-view. 
so I, again, I just think it was a transitional period for nation of domination and we were transitioning. All right. You don't got to get hot about it. Uh, next up we would see. I might have hot. Well, as long as you're not three quarters, I think we'll be okay. I'm getting there. You're five eighths right now. I tell you, I'm coming to see you. Well, I booked my travel today. I've heard that before. I booked my travel. I mean, I I was told you were going to be here for my 40th birthday too. Well, whoever told you that lied. Okay. Okay. I did try. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so we didn't actually lie. Just, I couldn't make it. You realize if you come here, I'm going to make you record a podcast every day so we can just get way ahead. But I'm not going to do it because I'm there on vacation. I'm there to relax. Wait, you're coming here to vacation? Yeah. Oh, I'm putting your ass to work. You're going to be taking mortgage applications. You don't know. Uh, bullshit. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be in the damn, I'll be in the damn infinity pool getting red. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Rocky Malvia is going to help Farouk beat chains. And now the rock is born. He joins the nation looking back in hindsight, pretty major moment in WWF history here. I mean, if the rock doesn't join the nation, I'm not saying we wouldn't have found a way to get there, but boy, the next week where he does that infamous die, Rocky die interview, and it turns into a big brawl between the nation and the Bariquas. And of course, somehow Jim Cornette's windshield just happens to get smashed that like week period there for the rock. Pretty major moment, not only in his history, but the WWF's future too, right? I think that when you look at a lot of things, um, yeah, that was where rock was born and rock going out and showed everybody. Yeah, I can cut a promo. Yeah, I can be a heel. And I don't think that that rock really wanted to do it. If I know rock didn't want to do it at first, but it was a pivotal point that this now it's coming to fruition what we were looking for Ron and the nation of domination to do. And that is to make people. And that is exactly what happened with rock and just the, the subtle man, you go back and you, you watch the transition and the subtlety of the looks that Farouk would shoot Ron and vice versa was just magic. And, and they did a great job with it. So chat me up about the whole, uh, brawl and Jim Cornette's windshield. I know you've told the story before, but this is, uh, one worth repeating. Well, they had the big God. What was it? It was a four way, eight way, 12 way, basically big brawl in the back Atlantic city. And they went into the parking area where the boys parked and employees and everything parked back by the truck and it was all enclosed in a, in a garage enclosed and the guys went out and they had this brawl and they, you know, I think it, and it was uh, comma actually is the one whose big back popped it, but they got on this, this one car. And as it was, and it wasn't, wasn't a planned spot or anything like that, but all comma did was roll. And so that he wouldn't damage the car because no one knew whose car it was and he rolled. And when he rolled his back on the back windshield, the, the, the back window broke back windshield, the back window, it just popped and exploded. So it looked and sounded great and they kept going and it was an incredible moment. Then when this happened, everybody's looking around going, Hey, whose car is that? Cause we need to, 
find whoever's car it is, let them know, and get their car fixed and get it taken care of. Well, then it was found out that it was Jim Cornette's car. Barry Windham came and got me and says, hey, man, need you to watch this. And I go and I go to watch the fight and everything, make sure everything's good. And I'm watching it. And I see the thing. I was like, so it was a pre-tape. Oh, yeah, it's pre-tape. Okay. Uh, it's like, oh my God, who's and Barry's looking at me. He goes, it's Cornette's car. I said, will anybody tell him? This is nuts. Why we came and got you. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, man. Um, so I said, okay, well, you know, I'll go find Jimmy and let him know what happened. And then Barry says, wouldn't it be great if he just watched it and saw it happen? Oh, God. Um, and then it came from that to where I'm like, okay, I'll bring him over here and say, hey, you got to watch this fight. And then he'll realize what happens. And then Barry says, <laughs> he goes, what if he watched it live? So all day long, the rest of the day, people are, are playing it up and about how this great, great scene. Oh, they're hyping it up to him. They're hyping up the fight. Yeah. Like, oh my God, this thing was the greatest fight in the history of fights. Parking lot brawl, man. It was tremendous. And Corny's watching it at gorilla live and putting it over. I'm this sure. happen and, and is ecstatic. Oh my God, this is the greatest fight in the world. Oh my God, this is awesome. This is awesome. Oh shit. Oh God damn. That was great. When the, when the window pops and he's like, Oh, this, that, that's my car. That's my motherfucking car. And he's livid and takes off. And he's immediately mad at you and everyone else. Cause he thinks Everybody. that you guys did it intentionally. Yes. Yeah. And God is my witness. Um, you didn't know it was his car till afterwards. Well, first of all, uh, I didn't know it was nobody. It wasn't planned to go pop someone's back window. Right. It was an accident that happened during the fight and they kept going. Then afterwards they found out it was Corny's car. I went to get him. And then it was like, what if we did it this way? Um, okay. So if you're uh, guilty of something, you're guilty, I am of, guilty of not telling him right then. Yes. Yeah. You. Yeah. Okay. But you didn't pop um, it. You didn't ask for anyone to pop it. No, yeah. no, not at all. 100%, 100% accident. So Corny, uh, leaves gorilla, goes back and gets his bag and gets everything and leaves. And as he's leaving, he runs into, oh God, it was the building manager and like the mayor of Atlantic city or a councilman or somebody with their kid. And they see Jim Cornette and they want an autograph and Cornette goes off and cuss out the little kid. Oh, motherfucker. I'll kill you. You little son of a bitch. Um, he didn't do that. That was, that was a lot of fun. He didn't do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He cussed around the kid. He didn't cuss the kid. Well, according to them, oh, okay. he cussed the kid. Okay. Because Vince and I had to go do damage control <laughs> on that one. <laughs> All right. Because they came and they came to whoever was running that particular building and were like, hey, one of your wrestlers just, you know, used the F word to my son and all this stuff. So uh, Corny takes off. Where does he go? Drives home. Oh. 
from Atlantic City, New Jersey to uh, Monroe, Connecticut, or wherever the hell he was living at the time, and with his back back window out. And it was pretty cold out. So, Corny, we, we get home, and I call Corny. I leave a message. Vince calls Corny, leaves a message, a few messages. Corny won't return anybody's call. Finally, he answers the phone. I'm like, Jim. Dude, it was an accident. Okay. Yes, you know, we, we had a little haha. We had some fun by, you know, waiting for you to watch it live, but, but it wasn't malicious. No one meant to break your window. Right. Oh, 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 we left out the most important part. So when Corny goes out and sees his back window popped out, oh, no. Corny opens up the trunk and takes out a baseball bat and then beats the shit out of his car. Like, starts bashing his car in with the baseball bat. Why did he do that? Because he was mad. So then he throws the bat in, but in do, in hitting his car with the baseball bat, he had broken the trunk, so he couldn't lock his trunk. Okay? You with me? Yep. So now as I'm talking to him, he says, yeah, goddamn, I was so mad. I was so fucking hungry that night. I was pissed off. And I said, well, okay, Jim, I mean, I understand being pissed. But again, it was nothing malicious. It wasn't intentional. And he he says, yeah, but I was, I said, why didn't you stop and eat? Only they fucking placed eat, goddamn, uh, on the turnpike or whatever. And it was like Road Rogers and, and I couldn't go in. Why couldn't you? Why couldn't you stop and go in? And he says, "Because my goddamn window was bashed out." Said, okay, but I mean, what are they going to steal? What is there to steal? I mean, you throw your stuff in the trunk. Goes, well, that's the thing. I broke the fucking trunk. Half <laughs> a car with a baseball bat. So I had all my shit oh. my car. And you know how these fucking Yankee motherfuckers are up here. That if I had a bashed in window and the trunk bashed in, they would steal all my shit. think that they would have stolen your shit in the Roy Rogers parking lot. So anyway, he, he drove all the way home in a frenzy without any food because if he went inside to get a couple of roast beef sandwiches, they would have stolen all the shit and he was livid. And then he, Vince finally called him and he picked up and it's like, get your car fixed. We'll pay for it. But goddamn man, you know, <laughs> chill out. And yeah, good times. Good times. Savio. Savio wins a steal tr- my shit. You're having fun with that, aren't you? Motherfucker. Thank you. Fuck you. Okay. Motherfucker. Alrighty. Fucker. Okay. <laughs> There's a new sports drama series on stars and it's set in the world of indie wrestling. Heels follows a family owned wrestling promotion as two brothers war over control of the league and their late father's legacy. Ace and Jack Spade's rivalry both in and out of the ring is the main event. Brother versus brother hero versus heel. 
Even CM Punk is stepping back onto the map for a cameo. Alexander Ludwig plays Ace Spade, the beloved hero, young hotshot, and the star of the Duffy Wrestling League. Outside the ring, Ace struggles to reconcile his idol status with his habit for self-destruction. Stephen Amell plays his brother in league heel, Jack Spade. This hardworking proprietor, husband, and father is trying to breathe new life into the DWL. Don't miss Heels, premiering tonight only on Stars and on the Stars app. Savio wins a triangle match over Crush and Farouk at ground zero in a match that's best described as not good. Something, uh, just didn't click here. Farouk and Owen Hart are going to be in the tournament final to crown a new intercontinental champion after Steve Austin's injury. Of course, this show happens at bad blood. Owen Hart's going to win this vacant IC from Farouk seven minutes and 12 seconds. And it happens after Steve Austin Hits Farouk with the belt. The idea being that Austin wants Owen to win. So he gets a shot at him at survivor series. Meltzer didn't love it though. Says it was a bad match, but it's probably hard to really judge any matches that night because that's the day the wrestling world found out we lost Brian Pillman. And uh, in hindsight, who gives a shit about an intercontinental title? Uh, so the, uh, the next big tease is going to be some friction with, uh, the rock who's gaining a lot of popularity and momentum now that he's a heel on the, the nation squad and Farouk, who was the designated leader. Uh, what was their relationship like as rock started to catch a little steam? Uh, kind of father sonish, And I think Ron really took rock under his wing and, and looked at it as this is the opportunity to make a new guy and saw the potential in, in Rocky. And it's like, okay, man. And pretty sure I'll put words in Ron's mouth, but it was, you know, Ron's going to ride this rock gravy train as far as he can. Yeah. But it was uh, it was a good, it's a good way to get somebody over and Ron and rock got along and rock went to Ron for advice and Ron was happy to give it. So their disagreement really starts to heat up in December. And then he makes it to, he being Farouk pronouns, pal. Makes it to the final three of the Royal rumble with, uh, the rock and Steve Austin. What a pairing that is now. Think about that. The last three in the ring for the 1998 Royal rumble are the rock stone cold and Farouk Farouk wants Rocky to help him eliminate Austin and then, uh, eliminate himself. But Rocky of course refuses Austin ends up the winner anyway. Is the hope here that. Ron is going to become the, the sympathetic baby face and that the rock is going to be the heel. Or do you recognize the rocks charisma is so big fans aren't going to want to boo him. Well, at this time they were, they were happy to boo him, but it, at the same time it, we were going somewhere else and we wanted to go new and we had shamrock and Austin kind of lined up for rock and wanting to get there and didn't, didn't think that the, the people really wanted to see the Farouk rock match per se. At WrestleMania 14, Shamrock and The Rock would face off for the IC title, which would see Rocky win by DQ. Shamrock's going to attack him after the match, and Farouk comes down but decides to walk away, and that effectively makes him a bit of a babyface. So the next night, he gets kicked out of the nation, and it builds to a six-man tag team at Unforgiven. It's Farouk, Ken Shamrock, and Steve Blackman on one side, D'Lo Brown, Mark Henry, and Rocky Maivia on the other. And the baby faces prevail. Um, the hot tag comes in a fresh Farouk cleans house 
but Rocky uses a DDT for a near fall. And then Farouk got the pin, according to Meltzer with a sloppy dominator, half a star. what do you think of the dominator as a finish? I thought it was a great finish. It's just hard to do on everybody. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, I think that whenever you have a, a finish, you should be able to do it on everybody. It is interesting too, to think that unforgiven match that has the rock in it is the opening match on the card. First match there. And Ron pins the rock here in 1998 on pay-per-view things are going to change. And over the edge, there's a show long storyline after the, uh, the Farouk character attacks Rocky, but there's an issue with the chair in the attack. The chair isn't there when Rocky gets pile driven on it, but Jr. calls it with the chair and Lawler says the chair moved, but Rocky still got stretched out. Anyway, this is one of the pitfalls of doing live TV. As we said earlier about the injury shit happens, right? Well, no, this is a pitfall of the announcers knowing what's supposed to happen. Okay. And calling what's supposed to happen versus watching your monitor and calling what actually does happen. Yeah. So if you're taking notes at home, uh, Bruce just faded all the heat to Jr. there. Uh, supposedly Rocky is too hurt to work. Now, see, you're stirring <laughs> shit again. You did it. I just recapped what happened. No, I, uh, all the commentators are guilty of it. If they know something they're calling it as if they know it and they, they don't always watch their monitor. Well, and sometimes guys will miss shit. Michael Cole called, you know, oh my God, someone's levitating when they weren't (laughs) because he had read somewhere along the way that someone was supposed to levitate, but you are carting a guy out on a stretcher. He's got to explain why he's been okay, but don't call going down on a chair. If it doesn't happen and you don't see it. Supposedly Rocky is too hurt to work, but Sergeant Slaughter is going to force him to work. Uh, what really feels like a baby face gimmick Meltzer would write. Mavia came out with the, uh, with the belt. And of course he's wearing a neck brace. Uh, Farouk then attacked Mavia, took off the neck brace and began hitting him. Uh, they worked the match with Mavia, no longer selling the neck injury. That was supposedly so disabling. The crowd had no clue how to react because even though Mavia was put in the face position, they didn't like Farouk or didn't dislike Farouk, uh, but they could have cared less about him. And didn't like Rocky again, no heat. So it is interesting that we're starting to get more shades of gray here in the attitude era in 98. Would you agree with that assessment? Definitely. Definitely. I think that the, you know, the audience was more interested in characters and not so much good guy, bad guy. It was, you had, you had good guys with bad guy tendencies and vice versa. Uh, towards the end of the match, Owen Hart and the rest of the nation are going to make the save. And then DX does a run in to save Farouk. Uh, of course the DX crew gets a big reaction. The whole thing's kind of a clusterfuck, but I feel like we glossed over Owen Hart now associated with the nation. Uh, it's, it's interesting to take a look at this group and see how it's evolved, but coming out of this match or this cluster or this skirmish, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's, uh, in the dude, in the dirt sheets, as you would call them, the rumor in innuendo is that Ron has upset some of the office because there's an issue with his weight. Do you remember that being a, a, a conscious conversation in 1998? I, I really don't recall that. And I, if anything, if Ron got heavy, I could see where someone probably pointed out, Hey, Ron you need to get in better shape, but I, I don't recall that. 
at fully loaded Farouk's going to team with two cold Scorpio in a win over Terry Funk and Bradshaw. This feels just like four guys who don't really have much going on, putting a match together, but four hall of famers for sure. Uh, Funk and Bradshaw, man, I don't know why, but that just hits you in all the Texas feels. And then Farouk and too cold. I mean, you got a badass, and then you got a, uh, one of the biggest high flyers in history. I like that. Did you think, uh, perhaps Farouk and too cold could have been a, a permanent tag team, a permanent pairing? Possibly. But, uh, you know, again, it was, it was a situation where it kind of was, okay, we need something for this guy. need something for that guy. need something for that guy. Ah, here's tag team. And Bradshaw got a team with Terry Funk. So his life was complete. Yeah, no doubt. Well, his life is about to be complete because, uh, these opponents here are going to become tag team partners. When do you remember it being decided that Bradshaw and Farouk would be a great pairing on camera? Didn't really know. I mean, it was, they were friends outside and it was undertaker who looked at them and wanted them to be a part of the ministry of darkness just so they would, they would have something to have story and, and like, you know, Ron Simmons and like John. So they became the acolytes. All right, Bruce, uh, back in the eighties, you had like this thing you would say, you would lean into the camera with your red face and you would say, what, what did what'd you used to say? And if you've ever done that with your hair, you're not alone. You know, two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. In fact, more than 50 million men in the United States suffer from some form of male pattern baldness until now. You see, Keeps offers a simple stress-free way to keep your hair. They have convenient virtual doctor consultations, and they even have your medications delivered straight to your door every three months, meaning you don't have to leave your home. It's also a low cost deal, man. Check this out. Treatments start at just $10 per month and keeps offers generic versions. We should also mention it comes in discreet packaging, but it provides proven results. Don't take my word for it. Go see for yourself. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of their competitors. Prevention is key. Treatment can take four to six months to see results. So act fast. What we're talking about here is keeping more of your own hair. Don't wait until you're bald to get started. It's too late. Start right now. And if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash wrestle to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash wrestle to get your first month for free. That's keeps.com forward slash wrestle. Do you remember whose idea it was or what their feelings were on it? Yeah. It's undertaker's idea. So, but I mean, creatively, is there anybody who like besides undertaker coming and saying, all right, we want to put these guys together or let's let me have them who comes up with, all right, let's put squiggly shit on their chest and blah, blah, blah. The talent did. Okay. That was something that Bradshaw and, and Ron did on their own. Was it common squiggly but, shit? Well, goddamn fucking symbols. Okay. Not squiggly shit symbols. All right. Then, uh, all right, then. is this common that the undertaker would bring you ideas in this era? Or was it so rare that when he did, you're like, well, we got to try it. Mark wants us to No, undertaker always brought ideas to us and some were good. Some weren't when he has an idea he wants to pitch. Does he try to get a meeting with Vince to have that conversation? Does he just say, Hey, Bruce want to run something past you? What's that look like? Pick up the phone, call oh. one of us. Oh, so just, not at TV, you know, say, hey. just on the phone. I got you. Yeah. 
So the original incarnation of the acolytes had Don Callis coming ringside and trying to recruit Farouk and Bradshaw. Uh, what'd you think of Don in this role? Um, it was just in, in search, trying to come up with something for Don to do more than anything. Don had come in with the, uh, truth commission, truth commission, and just looking for something for him to do. The observer would write the name, the acolytes, uh, quote, the acolyte name was picked by Jackal, AKA Don Callis as a rib on the office for his previous portrayal as a religious fanatic cult leader. When was he a religious fanatic cult leader? I think that was the gimmick with uh, truth commission. What was your vision for truth commission? What was truth commission? Truth commission was an idea that Bret Hart had, and it was to bring in these ruthless, um, mercenaries, put them all together led by, I think the guy's name was Robin Smith, who was a South African actor that Brett had done some work with in South Africa. Um, and just thought he was, would be great as a manager, but you know, he was an actor and he didn't, you know, he had to write his lines. He had to do everything. He couldn't do anything impromptu and couldn't do anything physical either. Um, so then when things didn't necessarily work out with Robin and that was, and that was also, that was a favor to Brett. Um, Brett really wanted to do it. And Vince wanted to use some of Brett's ideas and get Brett involved in the creative process as well. Um, then when the Robin thing didn't work out, it was, well, we need another mouthpiece for the truth commission. And that's where Don Callis came in. And I think Brett suggested him there as well. Well, JR would refer to him as, uh, the David Koresh of the world wrestling federation that this truth commission was like a group of guys that he was leading in that regard. So I think that's probably where he came up with it. Okay. Why don't you think, uh, Don, why didn't Don last longer? I mean, we know he, he really just sort of disappeared from wrestling for a long, long time. And then he popped up and was doing his thing in impact and with uh, new Japan, I guess, and, and everywhere else. Do you, do you remember how all that came to be or, or why his time was done in WWF? I just don't think that, uh, in the locker room and backstage that he really got along with everybody. And I don't know that the Don worked, you know, too hard to get along with anybody. Uh, I thought he's a hell of a talent. He was like a loner. Yeah. You're saying kind of, yeah. Yeah. Is that, an, uh, I'm not saying this to, uh, poke holes. I'm just trying to understand. Do you think it's more important now than ever to sort of be a team player and ingratiate yourself to the rest of the crew? Or can the, the old loner standalone off to himself, keeps to himself guy still make it. I think there's examples of both and, you know, it, it definitely, at least in my opinion, say hello to people and, and get out and try to be involved as much as you possibly can. So when you put Ron and Bradshaw together here, they're already, you know, sporting a reputation backstage as locker room, tough guys. I mean, I guess it makes sense to put them here as enforcers. And, uh, you sort of said the symbols on the chest was maybe a talent idea. Uh, once Callus is out, the acolytes are moved into the ministry of darkness around the undertaker. Seems like a natural move. It's a collection of talent around the undertaker that I guess we're trying to get the rub to guys like Bradshaw, Farouk, Midian, Viscera. 
they're essentially big guys who maybe you're friendly with Mr. Uh, Callaway, who really don't have a lot of other stuff going on, but boy, they benefited from it. And of course we've covered the acolytes public enemy match in the past. You can check it out in the archives, but do you think that really helped build the acolytes reputation as being badasses? I mean, that whole public enemy incident, I think. No, I mean, I, I just think that that was something that anybody put in that same situation, the way that that was done, uh, probably would have handled it the same way. And the fact that it was Ron and John that they got it. So, you know, the, the whole public enemy deal with public enemy trying to change the finish at the very last minute, right before guys walked through the curtain, um, some guys would have just gone with that. Um, Ron Simmons wasn't the kind of guy to, to go with that. He was like, this is what we've been asked to do. This is what we're going to do. And we're not going to listen, not going to listen to them at this point. Bradshaw and Farouk are uh, going to get a couple of tag team title reigns. Uh, one comes over Kane and X-Pac before they drop it to the Hardy boys. But I guess really Bradshaw and Farouk are a couple of guys that you would say they didn't really need the titles, but. Uh, eventually Michael Hayes is going to come out of retirement and wrestle with the Hardy boys in some matches against the acolytes. I got to think Ron and Bradshaw enjoyed putting old Duke, Duke, Duke back into retirement. I ain't never said Duke, Duke, Duke in my life. Duke, Duke, Duke. Fucker. I have a tremendous story to tell you when we finish. Uh, they win the tag titles back at fully loaded over the Hardy boys and, uh, Michael Hayes, of course, before dropping them back to Kane and X-Pac. Uh, undertaker's injury leads to the end of the ministry. And that's got to make you wonder, uh, if you're Bradshaw or maybe even if you're Ron Simmons, damn, what's left for me now? Well, the APA who comes up with the idea of the acolyte protection agency. I think it was a combination of, uh, Vince and the talent of just talking about why, you know, what if we did this? What if all we did was sit in the back, drink beer, and people come up to us and they they want us to, you know, do a job or beat somebody up or go hurt somebody? But we do it under the auspices of being a protection agency. Um, and they were two, two friends that really got along well together. Uh, and it was a natural. And I think that once they did the APA stuff, that... The rest, as I say, is history. Let's, uh, let's remind everybody, this group is going to become famous for drinking beer, for playing cards and for taking money from people to, uh, help them either win a match or protect them. Uh, but my favorite piece of business that became a staple is they came up with the door. So it's just usually a table set up in the backstage area. And then they would set up a door that isn't attached to any walls. It's just framed up and freestanding. Who came up with the door? Is that a Brian call? Because it's fucking hilarious. Again, I think it was something talent did. And, and it was either a door back there. And they said, why don't we have this and put, you know, like every detective agency you ever see in the movies is like so-and-so detective agency yes. or whatever. Yes. And you got to go in the door and you have it there and people come walking in. It's like, the hell you raised in a barn. Come in the door. And it just was a, it was a gag that stuck and easy to work with. 
WCW's purchased a course in 2001, uh, and the, the role of the APA on camera here is going to become locker room leaders and enforcers for the WWF, which I guess you could argue is a real life situation too. Uh, the APA win the tag titles over the Dudley boys only to drop them to DDP and Canyon. Uh, was there anyone, do you remember that Bradshaw and, and Simmons really had fun with at their expense, maybe on the WCW side of things? Um, I asked because well, maybe Bagwell on the initial, okay. Um, debut of WCW, but nobody other than that. I think they kind of liked, uh, Jindrak and O'Hare. I think they liked Canyon and Dallas, but, uh, yeah, I don't think they took liberties with anybody. Oh no, I didn't mean that. It's just been said over the years that. They weren't exactly warm and fuzzy to WCW talent, whether it was referees or wrestlers or staff. Do you think Ron was at any point nervous about his position, given that he's getting up there in age and now we've got all this WCW roster too? Uh, you know, I think that Ron was pretty comfortable with where he was with John and had the young guy to go out and do the, do the majority of the work. And Ron comes in and does what Ron does. The APA at this point starts to run its course and a split happens after the first WWF draft. Did the guys know ahead of time they were being split up? Had there been discussions or did they find out like everybody else? Um, I think they knew, uh, because we had, we'd asked John to change his hair and everything. And I believe that we had talked to them ahead of time. To let them know. So when you, when you talk to them ahead of time, is it something where uh, Brad, you go to Bradshaw and you say, we're going to try you as a singles and well, Ron, we'll figure something out. Yeah, it was look, and Ron was somebody that we were looking at possibly to be a, a producer as well. Okay. But, um, it was out of respect to them. And plus we needed John to start kind of on his new look and everything quickly. We want to change color of his hair and all that good shit. So we needed to let them know a little bit ahead of time that, Hey, the draft's coming up and it's a good chance. You guys are going to be split up. They have their final tag match on March 28th in East Rutherford and a house show. They're going to lose to the Dudley boys. And after the, uh, the match, the Dudley boys, the acolytes, the Hardys, and even Arn Anderson comes out and toasts as if it's the end of the run for both the Dudleys and the acolytes in hindsight. Do you regret splitting up the acolytes or the Dudleys here? Uh, I don't, I really don't. And the other, you know, for the acolytes, I think that Bradshaw flourished as a single and finally found a character, you know, that was him that we could make some money with. And the APA had had its run from the Dudleys. I think that when you look at, the Dudleys over time when Bubba became bully in wherever the hell that was TNA. I think that Bubba really shined as a single. And I think that Bubba, it just was a few years too early. Did you, um, did you express the idea of, of Ron trying his hand as a producer? Because I know you're going to try him briefly as a singles. Did you mention that? And he wasn't really into it. 
I, I really don't know who did it. That was Jim Ross or John Laurinaitis, but I know that was something that people were talking about. So Farouk I moves, did, I didn't bring it to him. No. Farouk moves over to SmackDown and he's going to feud with the new Reverend Devon. It's a new gimmick that uh, Devon's trying. And he's got a deacon with him carrying the money box. Some fella named, uh, Batista. And, uh, he also, he being Farouk pronouns, pal gets paired up with a young, fresh name on the roster. Uh, some n- new guy named Randy Orton is Ryan at this point, really embracing the role of, Hey, you're the veteran show this kid, the ropes. I don't know about embracing it, but he accepted it. You know, he kind of knew that this is, this is his position at this point in the game. And he's there to teach people and help people get over supposedly. And remember we would give context to this. This is post nine 11. Al Qaeda has a camp that they're calling Al Farouk. So Ron starts using his real name again. Is that how you remember that going down? I don't, but sounds plausible. Yeah. At the end of Oh two, Ron's officially the oldest wrestler on the WWF roster. His contract is expiring and the talk makes it to the newsletters that Ron is, uh, being considered for an agent role. How do you think Ron would have done as a, as a full-time agent? I think Ron actually would have been pretty damn good because he was logical and laying things out. And he was someone that could explain how to do it. And he ain't going to take no shit. Exactly. Uh, so Ron stays on sometime after, um, some time off and the APA briefly reforms for one last run on SmackDown. It features the now infamous APA invitational barroom brawl, the vengeance, 2003. Uh, Bradshaw wins by beating brother love. What do you remember about this APA invitational? It was bullshit. I should have gone over. I agree. I was watching that back the other day and I felt like he got jobbed. I did. Well, no, I didn't. I mean, I was in the main event. I lasted till the end. I whooped everybody else's ass because, well, that's the only believable thing to do. It was a lot of fun. You know, it was, we, we got goofy with it. Duh. Believe that we had neat, we had the Easter bunny, we had brother love and, um, it was a lot of fun, but it was one of those situations where it got more and more ridiculous as weeks went on. And really at the end of it, it's like, what's the most ridiculous thing that, that could happen. And that would be either for the Easter bunny or me to last at the end. And they went with me. It was fun though. Like, uh, like I said, I got to whip everybody's ass. So Ron finishes up in 2004 and, uh, the storyline is going to allow the whole John Bradshaw Layfield gimmick to jump off. Did Ron have any issue with, uh, helping his old pal Bradshaw on the way out? Not at all. Not at all. I think Ron, uh, would have, and still would do anything for John Layfield. The APA lose a tag match on March 18th on SmackDown to Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati and Paul Heyman, uh, SmackDown general manager, of course, uh, says the APA isn't fired, but Farouk was, and Bradshaw's heel turn starts. And of course we eventually find out that's JBL. Um, Bradshaw never did a physical attack on Farouk. I guess maybe that's something that I don't know. The guys weren't comfortable with, but. I don't think that he ran into a, an agent role after this. 
Unless I'm wrong. Did he? Did no, he, he didn't. Cause he didn't, he didn't want to, uh, I don't know why, but Ron didn't want to be a producer, but he is constantly back on TV. He would show up and just do various appearances where something would happen. They pan the camera and we get a tight shot of Ron with a pause. And then damn, it's amazing how effective that became. And it really became uh, something that became a WWE staple. Even when his in ring stuff was done, he did a bunch of various appearances, including being Teddy Long's best man for his wedding on SmackDown and I don't know. What can you tell us? Why was Ron brought back over and over and over just that well-beloved in the office? Yes. And there would be situations where it would make sense to, to bring Ron back when you're explaining something. And the only punctuation you have for it is. Damn. And it's like, Oh God, that's, you know, you, you come up and you're trying to put a button on something and then, and somebody says, damn, it's like, that's it. Call Ron. <laughs> and, uh, it worked and it was a beloved character that'll go on forever. So, uh, he goes in the hall of fame, 2012, obviously well-deserving of all the accolades he received there. Um, what are your favorite moments of Ron? The man, you got to spend quite a bit of time with Ron over the years. There, there are a lot and the weekend that John Layfield got married for the second time and the last time, uh, my wife and I got to spend the entire weekend with Ron and just, it was in Key West think in January or February, something like that, but it was hotter than hell. And we're sitting out at the bar at the, there were two, two hotels or two Marriott's there. And we were at one, but like everybody was there and stuff. And they told us there was another quieter, uh, bar at the other hotel and I'm sitting there. Now I'm in my usual attire, my shorts and flip flops. And my wife is in swimsuit or whatever. And Ron is in, black jeans, black cowboy boots and a black skin tight shirt. He's hot as fuck sweating his ass off, but you know what? If anybody could pull it off, he did. Oh, of and course. We went and we sat, <laughs> we sat, um, at the bar on the beach, on the quiet beach. And just, we had a blast that, that whole weekend. Just, uh, never stopped laughing just the, the entire time. And I think Ron Simmons probably gave the greatest, uh, best man speech I'd ever heard had everybody in tears. And it was one of those where, uh, look, make no mistake about it. Layfield married up oh, big course. time everybody way out of his league. And we were the wrestling people to, you know, to that group of, of, uh, of legit, Business Social people. register people. Yes. Okay. And when Ron Simmons took the microphone and did his, I, they were all crying because it was just so emotional and just so fucking great. Um, emotional Ron, or funny or both? All of the above. Okay. He had, he had his points making everybody laugh their ass off. Then he had everybody crying, emotional, um, absolutely tremendous. And when you're sitting there, it was, 
I think at our table at the time, it was uh, Taker, his wife, Eddie and Vicky, me and my wife, uh, Bubba and Devon were there. Um, we just had an eclectic group that was having a blast and it, it was just so fun. But Ron's one of those guys, man, that, that commands respect, as I said before, and just does such an amazing job in everything he does. Uh, fun moments with him. What's your favorite Farouk match? Wow. I, I tell you, you this is going to sound crazy, but I don't really wasn't a match, but it was the debut when where he hurt Ahmed Ahmed because it was, it was frenetic. Yeah. And he made an impact. He came in and it was like, okay, I mean, intentional or not, that wasn't the intention that we wanted out of it from Ahmed getting hurt. But man, Ron came in and some guys, you know, coming in for the first time are going to be a little tentative. Ron was like, I'm going out to get over. And he did. Let's do some questions. Michael McClanahan wants to know if the rock never got put with the nation and Farouk became the breakout star. Does Bruce believe that Farouk and Austin could have had a viable feud? The idea being that, you know, Farouk could have been the heel to Austin's baby face. It's a different cadence. Uh, I think that, that, uh, Ron could have had a run with Steve. Absolutely. As the heel antagonist. I don't know that it would have just been different than what rock did. Michael wants to know, was there any, ever anyone backstage who tried to mess with Ron? What was it? He's unfuckable with unfuck withable, but seriously, I'm sure emotions run high after a match. Did anybody ever try to test his gangster? Nope. Didn't think so. I, yeah, no. Uh, Adam Arpin says, were there ever any discussions of bringing in Butch Reed to team with him prior to being paired up with Bradshaw? That's interesting. Of course we lost Butch recently, but was there ever consideration to doing something with Butch? Uh, there was not. And you know, I've always been a big fan of Butch from the early eighties and you know, Butch, when Butch got out, Butch got out. He wasn't, Butch wasn't interested in coming back to my knowledge. Uh, Ross would write whose idea was it to rib Farouk with the rock photo while giving the rest of the nation watches, not only in the ring, but a table of three or table for three. Also, where did the Rolexes come from? So I know how to answer the second one. Go ahead and give it to us. Where did the Rolexes come from? Bruce Rolexes be us and shit. Oh, okay. They're, they're yeah. expanding. Yeah. Uh, that was a fun little bit where the rock gives the rest of the nation Rolex watches, but he gives Ron a frame photo of the rock. Uh, Ron won in that one, boy. He did. Especially that, if it's that autographed. Frame, that frame was worth something. Yeah. More than those, uh, Folexes. uh, super blurred DJ says, uh, on the nation of domination episode table for three, Mark Henry was introduced to a man named Mr. Lenny by Ron Simmons. Can you tell us about Mr. Lenny? No clue. Uh, partly chosen Who Mr. Lenny. I don't know. That's what we're asking you, Bubba. Oh, well. Uh, partly chosen says, would Bruce rather take Simmons Spinebuster or Bradshaw's clothesline from hell? I'd take either one of them. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Bradshaw would take care of you more. Just for uh, a Yeah. I, I trust both of them to take care of me. Well, we're going to take care of you next week. We're hoping to drop this one on time by God. Sorry about the delay, but <laughs> Bruce is already shaking his head. Not looking good. Yeah. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> 
I don't really tell. I'm like, I'm looking over here at my emails and shit, and they're popping up on the second screen. I'm going, yeah, that ain't gonna happen. Okay, folks. But it will. It'll be like a day late. That's all. Sometime soon, we're hoping to drop the 20 anniversary of SummerSlam 2001, and I was hoping to drop it just in time for this year's SummerSlam. We'll see how it works out. It's Edge and Lance Storm for the IC. It's the Dudley Boys, the APA. Uh, test and spike all in a six man tag match. We got X-Pac working with the jury for the uh, WCW cruiserweight and the light heavyweight. We've also got Jericho working with Rhino in a singles match. We've got Rob Van Dam working with Jeff Hardy in a ladder match for the hardcore title. We've got the brothers of destruction taking on DDP and Chris Canyon for the tag titles. Kurt angle is in there with Steve Austin for his WWF championship and to close the show. It's the rock and Booker T for the WCW title. Yes. The WCW title went on last it's SummerSlam 2001 Bruce, when you're able to record that episode, which we hope is in time for Friday, but we'll see. Uh, what do you think we'll be talking about? Uh, you know, I, it's really the first time for a big, you know, for the, the big ones, WrestleMania SummerSlam that you had WCW talent involved in shit. So I just think the mix and some hit some didn't. And we'll talk about it next week right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard rock on. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks and a few becomes a few too many as the evening comes to an end. When people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. Okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over paid for by NHTSA. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? Yeah, how many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.